Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Ah, come on. You better than that. It's a nice fall day in the almost summer here in Ohio. You can do this. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There we go. So, first of all, of course, happy Mother's Day to all you mamas. Um, Hope you have a wonderful day. Your kids should treat you well. Guys, if you just don't get it, if you're like, yeah, 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 it's Mother's Day, always remember this. Um, I've been there when people have given birth, um, and, you know, it it looks really painful. Um, I, I remember the late comedian Joan Rivers said, if men want to know what it's like to give birth, they should take their lower lip and pull it over their head. Um, and that's how it is. So be good to your mamas today. Um, usually this morning we have our baby dedication. We didn't do it this Sunday because we've got several who want to do it, but the couldn't be here to do it. So we're just going to reschedule it for later so that if you want to do a baby dedication, let us know, and we'll reschedule it for a few weeks from now and um, get that done. Uh, Last weekend, mom, dad, and I and Megan weren't here. As you know, uh, Nathan Wolf made his preaching debut, and I watched it. I thought he did an excellent, excellent job. (laughs) Nathan just finished his degree in Bible from Liberty to go on and earn his master's, and and so, um, and, you know, he's had other churches try to steal him. I've let those churches know I will burn that place to the ground if they try. Um, so, but, and we were at a pastor's conference last week in Hawaii, and, um, yeah, come on, come on, come on, get going, give me your hate, give it to me, just give it to me. Okay, now, now look, in my defense, do you see any tan? I'm not a beach person, okay? Not a beach person. I do not go into murky water filled with fish poop and man-eating creatures. I don't do that. No. So, um, and it took us 15 hours to get there. 15 hours. And I don't know if you know what it's like to travel these days, but you have to wear the face diaper the entire time. And this is the crazy part in the airport and on the plane at all times. Or they will, TSA will kick you out. And this is what's crazy. I'm vaccinated. And the CDC says it is literally impossible for me to contract or to transmit the virus, and I still have to wear the face diaper on a plane for 15, you know what's like to smell your own breath for 15 hours? Well, Megan had a good time, um, and she did great. She had a couple, she led a couple breakout sessions um, while she was there, and we had some really cool interactions with other uh, ministry leaders. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, um, the Christian Standard Magazine is about 200 years old. It's been around for a long time, part of the independent Christian church uh, movement. And uh, Megan was the very first woman ever on the cover. And this last week, she was asked to be the very first woman ever to be on the board. So I'm proud of her. And 
One other thing before we get going, we're going to go to Ephesians here in a minute, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Um, and so you can go ahead and start turning there in your Bibles or your apps. We will have, you probably see in your bulletins, if you didn't get a bulletin, grab one. We have graduation Sunday for all graduates coming up on May 23rd. So if you have a graduate in your family, you want them up here and be recognized, be sure to fill that out. If you can get a picture to Paula for us to put in the bulletin, that's even better. You know, we've got several grads, and, and so um, we want to honor them on May 23rd. Last thing, and here's the deal. This won't affect most of you because most of you are Sunday morning people, though those watching online, and we still have many, many, especially on Facebook who watch online, first of all, glad you're here. Second of all, get your butts back to church. Um, and so, but it, we have, of course, a Saturday service and a Sunday morning service typically. On June 27th, that weekend, the weekend the 26th and 27th of June, we will not have a Saturday service just that weekend. And there's a reason for that. Because on Sunday morning, June 27th, we are ordaining Patrick and Eddie into ministry. And we have people traveling all the way from Uganda to be here. So what we're asking is everybody be here on Sunday, June 27th. You know, Ralph um, works part-time at Hillview. He does Vespers on, on Sunday. Even he's taking that off to be here to make sure that everyone is here for Patrick and Eddie. All right, so Sunday, June 27th, uh, Alex Matala is flying in from Uganda. The president of Kentucky Christian University will be here, all that kind of stuff. And so um, that's all going to be about Patrick and Eddie. So I hope you're here for that. All righty, enough of the announcements, PSAs. Let's get into it. Ephesians. Why are we covering Ephesians? We just did Ephesians a couple years ago. Here's why. Um, and this happened back, I don't know if you know this, we plan our sermon series anywhere from nine months to a year out. And so back in December when I was thinking about this and praying about this, and I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet and I work for a nonprofit, but I, I was just praying, thinking, okay, what, what does the church need? Which one of these 66 books of the Bible do we need to dig into. And I wanted to do Jonah because Jonah essentially, as Nathan pointed out last week, is having a heart for others. And that's what we're going to need as we relaunch this church after the pandemic. And then what else do we need? Ephesians is about church unity. It's about the church coming together as one family, serving God together and loving each other no matter what our differences are. Everything in our society has become politicized. Everything has become partisan. Everything. Entertainment, sports, you name it. And it's not up to me for you to decide where you stand on many of those issues. I don't really have a say or want to have a say on it. But, as what the Bible calls an elder of the church, here's what I must say to you. When we come together to worship the Lord and serve the Lord, all that stuff needs to stay in the parking lot. We need to come together as one. You're always going to have differences, even among Christians. It's going to happen. 
you know, it, it, it's like the old line from the classic uh, movie, existential classic, Days of Thunder. You know, rubbing's racing. You get together, you're going to rub. You know, I joke all the time. The only thing keeping some churches together is lack of communication. You're going to have differences. You're going to get on each other's nerves. Some of you, or I remember my dad, when I first became a Christian, gave me the book, The Fight. And one of the things it says is early on is you're going to encounter Christian brothers and sisters who have really bad breath. Deal with it. God became a man and died for us. It's not too much to say that we need to love each other despite our differences. No matter what they are. I, you know, it's, I want you to look around for a second. You're looking around at Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, you know, Bengals fans, for some reason, Browns and Steelers fans, um, you know, Ohio State fans, sanctified Kentucky fans. You're looking around and you're seeing all kinds of different. It's a miracle we're all here together and that miracle is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And, and that's where we need to keep our focus. And that's why we're in Ephesians. Now, before we get into the text, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. And I apologize, I've had a lot of coffee and I've still got a little jet lag. So I'll do the best I can. Um, Ephesus itself and Paul. Paul is writing this letter, and Paul, at this time, is in prison. He is probably in Rome, and he's in, under house arrest. And here is Paul's attitude to, to being under arrest. Awesome! You're like, how could that be awesome? Because he's like, here's what he says to the churches, and when we get into Philippians and others, we'll see this. He's like, they send a Roman guard, and they chain him to me, Every day. They can't get away. I preach the gospel to them every day. I've, you know, I've been God's instrument to convert many of them. This is great. This is the attitude he has. And he writes this letter to churches in Ephesus. Churches. Because at this point, churches don't have buildings yet. And Part of that is because churches have to kind of keep it on the down low. They have to, they're still kind of underground because of persecution. And in Ephesus, Ephesus was a big city in the Roman Empire. A big city today, about 250,000 people. And Ephesus was a thriving port. That's where they got most of their money, being a port city that exported stuff all over the Roman Empire. But the real thing that Ephesus was known for were two things. One, they had a pretty impressive temple worshiping Caesar, the emperor of Rome, declaring him to be a god. But down the street, they had an even bigger temple, the size of a couple football fields size temple, a temple to the goddess Artemis. Now, for a long time, and you may still find this in your study Bibles, the idea was because we found statues of Artemis, and she's covered in what appears to be eggs. And so uh, for a long time, people speculated that she must be a goddess of fertility, 
The problem with that is they preached, the, the temple priest preached that she was a perpetual virgin. Okay, you're tracking, that doesn't make sense, right? If you're not doing the act, how do you even know if you're fertile? So it's, you know, it's, it's, she wasn't a fertility goddess. Under closer inspection, what we have found are symbols of the zodiac all over, and we have also found ancient texts and so forth where even Roman generals would travel all the way from Rome to Ephesus to go to the temple of Artemis before they went out on campaigns, military campaigns, to buy books of witchcraft from the priests and priestesses at the temple of Artemis. If you go back and you remember when we covered Acts, in Acts 19.19, it says that through Paul's ministry, so many people were coming to the faith. What happened? They began to burn their books of sorcery. That's all connected to the temple of Artemis. And they were zealous about it, and so they persecuted the church. The church was so underground that archaeologists have dug under the city of Ephesus, and they have found that in the catacombs, the underground graves, they have found coded language, which they have translated as being from Christian to Christian, letting Christians know where they could find a secret church to worship. This is the church that Paul is writing to. And because we're going to be here a little while, I put an outline in your bulletin of the entire book so you can see how it flows. It opens with a greeting, and Paul always does this, right? Grace and peace and so forth. He does the greeting. Then, as we're going to see this morning, from 1-3 to 2-10, with one little tweak, what Paul does is he either writes or quotes a hymn. He opens the letter with a hymn of praise. And after that, and Dad will take this next week, because the hymn talks about how great God is, how lucky and fortunate we are to receive his grace. And then it moves into, and therefore, because you should be thankful and grateful for that grace, remember, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of God. You've got to know that. And then Paul uses himself as kind of an example, and then he moves on. He says, now, all that being said, we have to come together to serve God together. And then he talks about how to have a corporate mindset to make that work. And then in chapter 5, he starts talking about how families within the family of God should operate. And then he talks about how the individual should operate And then he prayerfully says farewell because he didn't know if he'd see them again. And so that's where we're going. Ephesians 1, 1. Let's look at Paul's greeting and then his hymn. Now, here's what I'm going to do. It's short. It's not very long. All right, don't worry. We're going to be out of here well before 1145. We will beat other people to the restaurants. You'll be cool. Everything's good. I won't go long. But I want to read through this first and then come back and talk about it. And while I'm reading through it, here's what I want you to do. This is a hymn, a worship song that Paul either loves or Paul was inspired by God to write. And I want you to take note of something. As we read through this hymn inspired by God, given to us in his word, notice how many times Paul mentions God The Father, Jesus, the Spirit, 
or he says him or he, he's referring to Jesus or the Father. Notice, see if you can keep track of how many times he says that in this hymn. All right, let's go. First, the greeting. Paul, an apostle, that just means a sanctioned spokesperson, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the, now I know many of your Bibles say saints. I can't stand it when Bible translators do that. Um, you know, biblical illiteracy is, is huge in this country, and part of the problem is our English Bibles use too many churchy words. You hand like an 11 or 12-year-old a Bible, and they don't know what righteousness means or saints or holiness or any of this stuff means, and so I wish we'd just quit doing that. It really means to the people who belong to God. That's it. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the people who belong to God, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here we go. Here's the hymn. He breaks it up a little bit in the middle, but here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him, that's Christ, in love. He, God, destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, some will say trespasses, that's really a terrible translation, it should really say offenses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Now he breaks it up a little bit for a second. He goes, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the people of God? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the works of his great power God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all things for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You were dead through the trespasses and sin in which you once lived. Following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work among those who are disobedient. He's basically saying you were following Satan. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. For we are what he made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Did you count how many times? He, him, God, Jesus, the Father, Lord. Anybody? You got it. Yeah, that's about right. It's around 70, yeah. 70 times. In a short, it took me what, five minutes to read that? About the same amount as a song, typical song. And in that, he mentions God roughly 70 times. So when Paul writes a hymn or quotes a hymn, what is the hymn about? God. Not us. The us, the Ephesians, whatever, get mentioned half as much. And when they are mentioned, what does he say? You know you are Satan worshipers, right? You were dead. You were nothing. You were children of wrath. <coughs> In other words, you sucked. But you have been made alive together in Christ Jesus. Okay. Now, there's lots to talk about here. I could break down. I mean, you could preach off this hymn for a year. The stuff that's in here. It mentions predestination. That gets a lot of people worked up. And I, you know, have to be honest. People ask me. I've had people ask me. Matt, you're studying Greek. What does predestination mean in Greek? It means predestination. Well, what does that mean? Hey, look. Um, here's the deal. John Calvin, following Augustine, taught that either, <coughs> and there's a debate in this, either that before the foundation of the world or after Adam and Eve's fall, God determined that all of us were worthy of condemnation, but he chose to save some of us for his glory. That's Calvinism. John Wesley, the two Johns, John Wesley said, nope, God wouldn't do that. The gospel is available for all. When he says predestination, what he means, though, because God is outside of time, God cannot be inside of time because God, time is part of God's creation. And the creature and the creator are separate. 
So God knew who would accept his gospel beforehand and determined to get it to them. And you ask, okay, but that's free will. I, I, I'm, I'm good with that. But then why did he create people who wouldn't? That's a longer conversation. Not going to get into it. There is an argument, but it would put a lot of you to sleep. So, there's a lot here. I could spend all day talking about what is here. There's so much. Do you notice that when he begins the hymn, he said, blessed be God. Now, what does he mean by that? Here's the deal. We typically, when we use the term blessing, mean what? We mean, if we say, God bless you, we mean good health, good fortune, hope things are good at home, yada, 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 right? Typically, that's not what the Bible means when it says blessed. For example, the Greek word makarios, which is typically translated as blessed, doesn't mean that. It means to be in favor, to be in favor. So let's put it this way. If I find out, if you introduce yourself to me and you're wearing a Kentucky shirt, you're in my favor. I just liked you a little more. Okay, that's what it means. So when Paul says, blessed be God, he's saying, what he's really saying is, I hope all of you, are looking favorably upon God. That's what that means. So if you say, biblically, God bless you, what you're saying to someone is, may God have favor on you and you have favor on God. May you have a good relationship with God. That's what it really means. Tracking with that? Because that's what's most important. And not to beat a dead horse, but this is what's most important. I uh, was talking to a pastor while I was in Hawaii, and it wasn't my idea to go. Um, and I was, this pastor and I were talking, and we were talking about this subject and about the church and, and the division in the church. And one of the things that we were talking about, and I can't remember if I said it or he said it. I'll go ahead and say he said it so I look humble. Um, but we were wondering this aloud. Why is it that good Christian people, wonderful Christian people, were more passionate about their presidential candidate than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why? I mean, I understand that's important. I understand that's important, but that's maybe four to eight years. This is eternity. Why do we get so passionate about something that comes and goes and show so little concern for what is forever. And one of those concerns that I have 
is this. I, I'll just be honest with you, and you can send some more hate along with the Hawaii thing if you want to. I cannot listen to Christian radio. It drives me crazy. Because so many of the songs have really bad theology. Now, I have heard this before from Christians. Ah, theology doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. How you view God and how you view salvation and how you view Scripture and so on, oh, that matters. It does matter. And here's the deal. Is there anything in our culture more powerful? There are things maybe as powerful, but anything more powerful than music? You think about it. So I'm telling you right now, all you have to do is spend about 10 minutes talking to a teenager to realize they have been more discipled by the music they listen to than they have the church. Tell me I'm wrong. So music is powerful. So the music we choose to worship to has power. And that means we need to be discerning with it. Um, I have, have a tendency to, it's going to surprise you, to upset people. No, it's true. And here's one of the ways that I upset people. I will take a worship leader aside and say very calmly, that song you just did, yeah, you're never doing it again. Not at this church. Why? Because it's pagan. And if you don't think that matters, read Revelation 2 and 3 when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. And one of the things Jesus says over and over again, Jesus says, I will, my spirit will leave your church if you don't stop teaching that nonsense. So it matters. There have been songs sung in worship, one very popular one, that was written by a Buddhist monk, and it's a metaphor for sex. We have to be a little bit more discerning than that. Now look, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. I don't care if musicians sing and write about anything. Whatever. Look, my favorite album of all time is Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. It is the greatest album. There have been scientific studies, but prove it. it you know, it's just, it's just a fact. So, I, you know, music is music. That's fine. Listen to whatever you want to, but when we praise God, that's different, is it not? And when Paul either writes or quotes a praise song to God, the focus is God. So if you're looking for something to worship too, here's the deal. The song, if it talks more about us than it does God, who's it praising? Because we don't deserve praise. We don't. 
Look, you want to create a universe with your voice and die and rise again three days later? Okay, then I'll praise you. But you ain't done it. Praise music is important. And it needs to focus on God. In this letter that we're going to be studying, which is all about unity, Christian unity, it starts off with worship. And the focus of that worship is God. It's important. It's really, really important. So that's why I can't, they're just, I'm not going to name the songs because inevitably I'm going to name a song you like and you're going to find me less favorable. And so I'll just, I won't name it. I'm just going to put it on you for you to listen and decide. To listen to the lyrics and decide what you should be and how you should be praising God. Because music teaches, music forms. It's important. It's important to be discerning. And not every hymn, not even every old hymn is perfect. I understand you can get to the point where you're being a bit nitpicky. I can get I get it. I get it. I get it. Andrew just let us an amazing grace. That's a great song. Written by John Newton, amazing Christian man, a man who went from a slave trader to a minister who fought to end slavery and during that time wrote Amazing Grace. But there's that line in there, when we've been there 10,000 years, no, that's wrong. We're not going to be there 10,000 years. We will be here. He got that wrong. That's okay. But I'm not going to say, Andrew and Megan, Ralph, you can't sing that song anymore because 99% of it is perfect. I know you can be nitpicky. But if a song calls itself a praise song, a worship song, and the focus is us, I have a problem. I have a problem. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Only God, because he is perfect, deserves great things. I tried to say this. I was on a Zoom call the other day for a Christian, this Christian organization that Megan and I invest in. And they help churches that are growing churches, buy buildings, and all that kind of stuff. And I was on the call, and I, I said something that probably, again, <laughs> upset a few people. One of the most toxic things in the church, and one of the reasons why the church is so divided, is when Christians suffer from entitlement. Whenever, and this happens, this has happened to me. I'm not pointing fingers. This happened to me. When I say entitlement, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Here's how a good Christian with good doctrine can quickly 
become a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees were a group that opposed Jesus, and part of the problem was they believed that if they and Israel would just get it together and would act holy and follow the law of Moses perfectly, then God would owe them something. This happened to me. About 10 years ago now, I was having some health issues, and I really didn't know what was going on. And they finally diagnosed me, and the end result was I had an open wound in my back about that big. <clears throat> and it was really painful, and I had to go to wound care every week. And here's where I fish for sympathy. I am allergic to pain medication. All right, so good news is your pastor's never going to get addicted to opioids. They make me throw up. Bad news is when you have a hole on your back, you could use them. But I can't even take them. I can't take anything stronger than Tylenol or I turn into Linda Blair from the exercise spewing everywhere. So, and I had to go to wound care, and I had to go Civil War side. When they would cauterize my open wound, they would burn my open wound, I just had to bite on a towel and just deal with it. And the worst part of that was not the physical. The worst part of that was the spiritual because I remember getting mad at God. I was like, hey, went to seminary, gave up a career in politics to go into ministry, gave up a career on the partnership track of a large law firm to do nonprofit work for your kingdom, helped plan a church, didn't make a cent off of it. actually cost me money because the average age of the church that I was pastoring was 19. If you ask 19-year-olds to tithe, you get lint and maybe a vape stick. And so I'm like, what's the deal? And it came down on me like a hammer. It wasn't the audible voice of God, but it was basically God saying, and Matt, I owe you what? I already saved your soul. I already died for you. What else do you want? And the argument against that is what? That's entitlement. I'm owed. Getting mad at God. I deserve. I want. And let's just be honest. It's I want. I was acting like a spoiled child. He saved me. I owe. He doesn't. And because of that, if I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship God. Megan, you can go ahead and start coming up here. So what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going to worship here in a second to close this out. I want you to worship, but I want you to look for solid songs to worship. Like this hymn that Paul penned. If it does talk more about us than it does God, then it better talk about us as sinners in need of salvation. Driving us to worship. That's what it should do. 
Many of you know the song, Just As I Am. It became pretty popular at the Billy Graham Crusades. If you're old enough to remember a Billy Graham Crusade, you'll remember sometimes thousands of people coming up with snot and tears and all that other kind of stuff and confessing their sin and coming to Christ while somebody like Cliff Barrow or George Beverly Shea sang, Just As I Am. It was even the title of Billy Graham's autobiography, Just As I Am. But Billy Graham had nothing to do with that song, neither did anybody around him. It was actually, that song was written by a British woman named Charlotte Elliott. She lived from 1789 to 1871. She was born without the use of her legs. She had a handicap. She could not walk. And this being... 18th century England, wheelchairs were kind of in their infancy, and so she couldn't get around. She had to rely on her family to do anything. And the thing was, what broke her heart was that she lived with a family of ministers. Everybody in her family was in ministry, and they were always running off to visit someone or, or marry someone or preach to someone or teach to someone or to disciple someone, always on the move. And she sat there on the couch saying, what do I do? And so finally what she did was she gathered this family of ministers around her and said, teach me. But you can't preach, you can't go, teach me. God will do something. And so they taught her good theology. They taught her the scriptures. They taught her correctly. And then she took pen to paper and began writing poetry, praising God, and asked someone to put it to music. And Megan, lead him in the song. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Just as I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me Come. 
Thank you, baby. I got a crush on the worship leader, by the way. Um, music is music. I love music. But choose, when you choose music to worship God with, it should, as Paul wrote, focus on God or our sinfulness and need for salvation. That's solid worship. That's a song with solid doctrine. God bless you. God go with you. Guys, listen, be good to your wives and mamas today. I promise you, all right? See you, Lord willing, next time. God be praised. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.